0: You're listening to the Mr. Sensational Gino Vega Podcast on the IC Robots Radio Network. What's up, everybody? It's me. It's me. It's Gino V. It's Mr. Sensational Gino Vega with another episode of the Mr. Sensational Gino Vega podcast on the IC Robots Radio Network. And folks, this is episode 17. I'm coming to you on a Monday evening um, with really a Hail Mary of an episode here. Um, Generally speaking, since I've started doing the show again, episodes have been airing on the network on Wednesdays, and I generally record them the uh, Tuesday or Wednesday prior to when they air. But in this case, we are on the Monday prior to the Wednesday airing, uh, ostensibly of this episode. And the reason for the lag is that this last week, um, the week preceding this Monday that I'm recording was pretty wild and crazy. It started off with, which I can't believe was a week ago, last Monday, it seems like months ago, um, when yet another big Northern California fire incident kicked off with a fire that began here in Napa County where I live, though quite far away from where I actually live, um, started raging and um, intruding into Sonoma County where I used to reside and where uh, IC Robots currently resides. And he's talked about uh, this whole glass fire incident in much greater detail than I'm going to hear on his latest episode of the Stuck at Home show. Uh, He's a lot more or was a lot more uh, personally affected by this last fire because um, where he lives was actually in one of the evacuation warning areas in Santa Rosa, California. Um, for me, the reason, the main reason it was on my radar than the fact that I know people, plenty of people live in Santa Rosa and were near, uh, where some of the potential fire spots were is that for the first time ever, my mom's neighborhood in Santa Rosa got put on evacuation warning, which had not happened previously. So Monday started off with just kind of being preoccupied about, uh, the trajectory of the fire and whether my mom was going to have to go somewhere else, which she ended up, she did. I mean, her house was never really in any imminent danger, but just for, peace of mind and be able to you know get away from her for a while she spent the night at some friend's house in uh, San Francisco but it was all good in the hood but at the same time you know whenever these fires happen and you're trying to keep on t- uh, keep on top of where they are and what's happening and who you should be in contact with and checking on etc cetera, etc cetera, it's a lot of psychic energy so even when you're not uh immediately involved uh it's it's busy times and then uh Add on top of that, the the main effect that I did get here, where I live, is just that the air was incredibly bad for a few days. So it was kind of hard to function a hundred percent normally, and precisely because of that uh, toxic air, that started to impact um, other aspects of my schedule, which in turn impacted my recording. Uh, my wife, Ms. Sensational, generally works uh, two days a week, Tuesday and Wednesday, is from her actual office, not in our home, um, which is why those are my ideal recording days, because I can record while she's at the office and the kids are in their rooms doing online schooling. But this week, um, because when the air is really bad, the way the circulation is in her office building, it actually gets really smoky, smokier in her office building than it does in our home, so she was working from home, and then meanwhile, remote school was canceled for a few days due to the uh, smoke, um, and because some of, some teachers and staff and students lived in evacuation areas, so it was just, I guess, easier to cancel school for a few days. So it was kind of a free-for-all over here with just people mobbing up everywhere, and I couldn't really post up and talk into the Blue Snowball microphone for 20 to 30 minutes. But hey, I'm doing it now, and I'm going to get this to ISR in time to have this Online on Wednesday for your audio. Well, I guess it's enjoyment. Your your audio consumption. I guess whether it's enjoyable is is up in the air. So what are we going to talk about today? Today I think we will start off by doing a little callback to some recent content from Icy Robots Stuck at Home show. Um, <clears throat> get this um, between when I said uh, what are we going to talk about today, and I think we're going to talk about while. That was probably a few seconds of airtime in real time. That was a good five minutes because I was eating a piece of uh, peanut butter toast and my mouth got stuck shut. I wasn't anticipating uh, how debilitating the toast would be to my um, podcasting abilities. But that's all over and done now with the power, uh, magical powers of editing. We're back on track, and I just did this uh, totally unnecessary segue about it, which kind of undid the editing. So whatever. Anyway, um, as far as the Stuck at Home show goes, uh, if you are listening to this show, I kind of have to assume that you are familiar with IC Robots and his Stuck at Home show because really um, my show is ancillary to his, and if you're listening to this, you probably found your way here by way of the Stuck at Home show. Um, if for some bizarre reason you're listening to this show just on its own in a vacuum, go ahead and go to uh, you know, Apple Podcasts, uh, Google Play, Spotify, we, you know, whatever the usual suspects are, whatever your, your your own particular poison is for getting podcasts. And just look up uh, IC Robots and uh, subscribe to the feed and you'll get this show and the Stuck at Home show and GeekFest Rants and uh, This Boring Life, and anything else that comes down the pike, you'll just you'll just get it there conveniently all in one ongoing feed. Um, but anyway, on a recent episode of the Stuck at Home show, uh, Icy Robots had put out an open call um, for questions to ask him that he would then answer on the program. And I had actually sent in a question, and my question for him, because uh, he and I over the years have often talked about goats, greatest of all times. So like, you know, uh, I think an example I gave him is for me, Ricky Henderson is the, is the greatest of all time of, of baseball players, of major league baseball players. Um, I asked him if you took all the goats of every genre, who's the goat of all goats of everything? And, uh, his choice was interesting. It was, it, it's not that I wasn't expecting it, but I was certainly, it's not that I, how do I put this? It's, I was ne- neither was nor was not expecting his answer. Um, so his answer simultaneously surprised me, but it was absolutely perfect and his choice was Fred Rogers, Mr. Rogers, because for him, Mr. Rogers was kind of like the pinnacle, uh, the linchpin figure in developing young icy robots mind when he was um, a lad. What does he call himself? Is it a young sprat? Is that, is that an icy robots thing? I think it is. But, uh, you know, I, I thought about what he said, and he had referenced how Star Trek was also up there in the running for the things that most shaped his worldview, Mr. Rogers and Star Trek. And I realized, you know, I felt, I feel pretty similar, similarly, um, I was neither a Fred Rogers nor a Star Trek super fan, though I certainly watched plenty of both and was a fan of both. Um, and I think sort of didn't realize how quietly both of those forces did help to, uh, shape the way that I see things too. Uh... In the case of Mr. Rogers, he was always kind of the gold standard of reminding you that there's just very little reason to be belligerent in life, I guess is the best way I can put it. Like, well, there, there's, there's never, it, it's never the best route to be ranting and raving and irate and screaming about something. There's usually a much more measured way you can deal with problems and find solutions to problems. And I, I remember seeing that in Mr. Rogers early on and really taking that to heart. And belligerence is always something that has, uh, bothered me. I, I don't, uh, I don't, I don't react well to ranting, raving outbursts. Um, and it's not that I've never, uh, been belligerent myself or had my own, uh, uh meltdowns, but I always recognize that as just an absolute personal failure. Um, which is funny because a lot of times belligerent people seem to think that it is somehow a sign of power or strength, but really when you are red-faced and the spittle is flying and you're up in arms and screaming and yelling about something, you just really come across kind of sad. And and uh, Mr. Rogers, the the Rogerian worldview is kind of the antidote to that. Just being kind, calm, measured, solving problems quietly, and uh, being... being uh, uh, Strong through mild-manneredness, I guess. And then with Star Trek, you have the idea that the kind of ultimate goal that we could hope for as a human species, the, the, the just most utopian of all futures, is a future where things are well-ordered, well-managed, um, rational... Um, I don't want to go too far because I do think that there's 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 a need and a place in uh, human life for the absurd and the wild and crazy every once in a while. But just as far as the way society is structured in, in Star Trek, um, you know, things are well governed. Things are well run, well managed. Um, resources are fairly distributed. Um, people are... Um, Help people like within the Federation. Generally speaking, are are helping one another up versus trying to uh, tear each other down. And I learned that lesson in a variety of places um, growing up, but Star Trek was definitely uh, a cornerstone for that. Um, just dreaming of of a uh, social order um, where people are living together in a spirit of. Uh, Friendly curiosity and wanting to re- really improve their own lot in life by improving the lot of all. What was it that Spock said? The the needs of the many outweigh the needs of the one or the few. Which is funny because <clears throat> every so often again, uh, nowadays you'll come across uh, uh, people out there on forums or whatever having to fit that like, oh, I don't like the new Star Trek stuff They turned into SJWs. And it's like... Uh, <laughs> franchise was always pretty solidly SJw bro like if you if, you, if you're 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 mad about uh, um, the idea of social justice and you're following a franchise where one of its most iconic characters claimed in his uh, dying breath that the needs of the many outweigh the needs of the one or the few you're probably' it's probably not a franchise for you but in any case I thought it was interesting that ISR cited those two shows, and it made me think about how they had had similar influence on me. So big ups to uh, Mr. Rogers' Neighborhood, Fred Rogers, and all of the entire Star Trek franchise, uh, and thoughts and prayers to those of you who uh, are angered by either of those entities. Um, I will, though, now take a moment to do a belligerent rant of my own after just a uh, decrying such things. When I was thinking about um, Mr. Rogers' Neighborhood, see, for me, um, when I was a kid, when I was little, like probably three or four, um, I my parents were... They'd go through phases of trying to be restrictive about TV, um, but I could usually get away with uh, some uh, PBS shows because it was educational, air quotes. Um, so... I generally was able to get away with watching I think it was like Mr Rogers would air and that was like a half hour show maybe and then Sesame Street would be on and that was like an hour and then electric Company would come on and I could sometimes uh, get them to uh, hang with me watching electric Company and then by the time three two one content came on it was three two one get out of the living room turn off the TV you're done <laughs> so anyway of those shows, I always thought of Mr. Rogers was kind of the appetizer not that i I you know Didn't think highly of the show, but it was just, to me, the main event was Sesame Street. I was a hardcore Sesame Street guy. But here's the thing. So when I was young and I was watching Sesame Street, that show was deep. That show dealt with just really intense stuff for the three- and four-year-old set. Like, I remember when uh, the uh, little neighborhood store there, um, Hooper's Store, when the actor that played elderly Mr. Hooper, the guy that owned the store, died, um the showrunners actually went ahead and uh, made his death part of the show. Like, Big Bird goes to go see him at the store. and am like, well, Mr. Hooper's not here, Big Bird. He died. And that was, I think that was probably my first uh, grapple with the uh, topic of uh, death and dying at age three or whatever it was. Uh, I think the, the next big uh, incident like that I had was uh, when I was quite a bit older. Um, I think I was must have been about 12 or so. I got really into the Beatles, and uh, I got this Beatles box set of vinyl for uh, my birthday, and it was like all, their, all the uh, British releases of their uh, albums. And um, I was listening to that song, Eleanor Rigby, and for some reason, I think they talk about like burying someone in that song or something like that, like there's a, a priest at a church or something. Anyway, and all of a sudden it occurred to me, it's like, oh, when you die, it's over. There's just nothing there it's just nothingness and I got t- super panicked and I went and I asked my dad about it and he was like well no one really knows what happens when you die but in the meantime just hang out with us which wasn't the worst advice in the world I remember some years later when my brother asked him the same thing by that point my dad was just like well yep that's it lights out the party's over so I think I got I got the better the better uh, paternal advice in that one But um, back to Sesame Street, yeah, it was this this epic show that had really detailed characters and detailed relationships between, like, the adults and, like, the puppets who are more kind of, like, kid sort of figures Um, in most cases. That was always kind of ambiguous, whether the puppets were kids or adults, because they would act childlike, but then they would have their own apartments and stuff. But anyway, um, really detailed characters, really complex relationships, uh, dealt with really deep topics and issues, and... As I got older and I had long since stopped watching Sesame Street, I always kind of had the back of my mind. Oh, it'll be great when I have my own kids and they can watch Sesame Street and kind of learn some of these same lessons and, and, you know, see some of the same great storytelling. But man, by the time I had kids, this abomination that they have on now, I mean, at least now it's (laughs) 10 years ago. God only knows what it's like uh, now. But uh, when my kids were little and they were watching Sesame Street, the entire format had been changed where now it was like. Five minutes of life on the street in the beginning. And then the rest of the show was just like Elmo having a conniption fit, you know, for like 45 minutes, just just writhing around in his apartment, screaming about nothing. That's Sesame Street. And I thought, oh, maybe it's just like this one episode. Then I watched the next episode. No, same thing. Next episode. No, same thing. So it essentially had become the Elmo show. And And it was about nothing, offered no existential value to anyone on any level, but every time I try to bring this up to people, they don't really seem to know what I'm talking about. They're like, oh, it's just Sesame Street. So am I crazy or am I remembering this correctly? Or, or, or am I turning Sesame Street of my youth into something that it wasn't? I don't know. I, I, I put that out there as an open question to you, the listener. Um, if you are of my age bracket, which is mid-40s and you had uh, the opportunity to watch Sesame Street when you were a child and possibly saw it uh, later in the Elmo era, Did you notice a similar qualitative drop-off? Because I I find the show unwatchable now. And that brings to uh, bear a topic that I think I'm going to save for next time, which is the ongoing debate over whether or not classic things are somehow inherently better than current things. Um, We'll talk about that next time. In the meantime, we're going to take a break. And we're going to close out this episode with some thoughts on an Amazon Prime video show that I have now watched every episode that's in existence of so far. There's one last episode of season two coming out this Friday, I believe. Uh, Amazon Prime's The Boys. We'll be back to talk some boys after this on the Mr. Sensational Geno Vega podcast on the IC Robots Radio Network. Take a look. It's in a streaming television show on Amazon Prime Video. On Amazon Prime Video. Um, yeah. <laughs> uh, Reading Rainbow, that was another one of the PBS uh, staple of shows. Although I feel like that one came out a little bit later. Like, I feel like I'd already had been like a PBS OG. And then all this new show is coming down the pike. Reading Rainbow. Let's check that one out. And uh, I was a big fan of that show as well. But you don't have to take my word for it. But since I don't have some kid to now throw it to, I guess you are going to have to take my word for it as we talk about Amazon Prime's television show, The Boys. And as always, we will do this relatively spoiler free because what I'm going to talk about isn't really about uh, any granular specifics of the plot, but just some of the more broad stroke things that this uh, great show has caused me to think about lately. And yes, I have I've enjoyed The Boys very much. It's one of the shows that I've watched in the um, vacuum of time that I've now opened up by putting to rest for now my obsessive viewing of professional wrestling. I've been catching up on streaming shows, and The Boys was the latest one that I plowed through. And for anyone who's unfamiliar, The Boys is a television show Based on a comic book, which I believe is a Garth Ennis comic book, um, I purposely, because I was going to sit down to watch this show and I didn't really know anything about the comic, I did not go out of my way to learn anything about it because I just wanted to watch the show on its own merits and not have preconceptions based on the comic or trying to compare it or having spoilers, What, whatever. Um, But yeah, Garth Ennis, um, I believe it's a Garth Ennis comic, and uh, it makes sense because the whole show has kind of a Garth Ennis feel to it. And I'm looking it up, and yes, indeed, it was a work by, at least in part, Garth Ennis. Uh, Interesting, Garth Ennis, I originally was acquainted with many, many, many moons ago um, by... uh, reading The Preacher comic book. This would have been back in, like, I guess, like, 97, 98. Borrowed a bunch of Preacher comics from a friend of mine by the name of Matt Silver. Matt Silver, if you're out there, what's up, buddy? Long time no see. But uh, anyway, I wasn't a huge fan of The Preacher or Ennis's style at the time, and I think in part because it was very dark and ultra-violent and cynical, and, you know, we were just wrapping up the 90s, which had been a decade of everything edgy and cynical and dark and violent, and I was just kind of burnt on it. Um, I would like to revisit The Preacher at some point. I would also like to watch The Preacher television show because I think I might feel differently about it now. Uh, might appreciate it more. I certainly appreciated uh, The Boys television show, and if the comic book is anything at all remotely similar in tone and content, I'm sure I would enjoy it. It is a grim, violent, dark, cynical show, um, but it is in service of some very important uh, points, I believe. Um, Just as a thumbnail, the premise of The Boys is a world in which superheroes are real, but superheroes are also kind of portrayed as something more realistic to what they would probably be if they were real. Which is they are these uh, celebrity figures, um, some of which are top tier, top flight, grade A, A A-list celebrities. And they are in a group called the Seven, which are kind of similar to like the Avengers or Justice League. These are the top flight heroes. And then you kind of have heroes cascading down the levels of celebrity when you get all the way down to, like, the total D-listers and even F-listers. But uh, the superheroes in the world of the boys are um, supported and promoted by a corporation called um, Vought, V-O-U-G-H-T. It's the last name of a gentleman who founded the company. And I won't go into any more detail um, for fear of spoiling and just because there's no really real point in Hashing it out here, but essentially the superheroes are generally all, um, presented as fairly sociopathic, if not psychopathic. And the interesting thing is that they kind of barely hold these impulses in check in front of the public, uh, some to, to better effect than others. And to the public present kind of a, you know, corporate superhero, here to help, bud, you're the real heroes type uh, persona. But then as soon as the cameras drop, as soon as the uh, public eye is gone, it's just like, oh, get these these peasants away from me. Um, and it's essentially that dichotomy that we see time and time again in our strange world of celebrity culture, where celebrities have a certain persona that they market and present to the public, but then oftentimes as that persona has cracks or chinks in the armor, you sometimes see a glimpse of something much darker um, behind that smiling uh, plastic veneer. And because of this way that The Boys plays with the reality of the so-called heroes and the image that they market and project, it's an important work on a few levels, um, particularly in the world that we find ourselves in currently. When watching The Boys, there are some really obvious, overt parallels one can make to um, current political happenings in our country, for those of us in the United States, where um, a sort of cabal of narcissistic sociopaths present a fake image of uh, strength and uh, heroism and patriotism, um, but then... Beneath that veneer, I mean, you have to be just a mark of all marks to not see you know the uh the contempt for which for what these people uh have for their their followers, but much like in real life in the boys um, the followers are so uh beholden to the myth and the image of their heroes that even when confronted with uh abject objective uh, proof of that contempt. They're easily swayed back on side, or they make justifications for it. Uh, the boys even interestingly uses the idea of um, social media memes as a way that heroes can uh, manipulate public opinion and and raise falling approval ratings, et cetera, et cetera. So that's all that's all fun, and that's all you know timely, but it's also kind of shooting fish in the barrel for those of us who are not uh, death cultists, who are not. Uh, In a strange sort of love with uh, a very high profile individual who presents a very false uh, veneer with all sorts of concrete proof about his real bearing just beneath and easily glimpsed uh, from behind that surface. I I probably shouldn't beat around the bush (laughs) here. It's like, it's shooting fish in the barrel if you're not a trumper. Uh, There's there's, uh, very. Obvious and easy parallels between um, the fascist heroes of the Vought Corporation and uh, Trumpism, but again, I, that that's a fun uh, metaphor to play with. But it's also one that, at this point, um, that issue is so uh, decided and divided that you either are not a death cultist and will find it funny that the boys sort of uh, lampoons Trumpism. Or you are a uh, Trumper and you will just decry it as another example of liberal uh, arts and entertainment being mean. Or you'll just uh, act in complete bad faith and say that you fail to see the uh, obvious comparisons. But so anyway, what's more interesting with the boys is when you take aside some of the um, specifics of what is wrong with the hero character. If you if you take away the uh, um, particulars of fascism and corporatism and you just meditate on it um, as a look at how all of us um, deal with the idea of celebrity and the strange sort of idol worship and distorted thinking that afflicts most of us on some level when it comes to these, uh, public projections and presentations of, uh, famous people. Now for most of us living in, I guess, sort of a secular first world environment, it's just a matter of fact that we are going to end up, uh, consuming popular culture you know we're not having to like fight for our food we're not having to hunt and gather we're not having to run away from predators and so you know over the course of our day we end up with time that is idle and a perfectly reasonable way of spending that time is by engaging with um content contents of popular culture music movies television shows books comic books um and a lot of that is even positive. I feel like, you know, these things spark the imagination. They make you think about things in ways that you might not otherwise. They they engage you. But along the way, um, these things involve whether it's actors in a movie or the band members playing the music that you like to listen to or the writer or artist behind that book or comic book that you're reading or the director behind the streaming television show on Amazon Prime Video that you're watching, Um, these figures are involved in these products that we consume. And it's very easy to start thinking that we know these people, um, that they're real people in our lives, the way that our friends or family members are. And it's not to dehumanize these people. And it's not to say that we don't have a relationship with their work but i tend to find myself troubled in much the same way i feel when i when i watch the boys and they're showing you these celebrities as they present themselves and then as they quote unquote actually are and the huge gulf uh, that exists there i i find myself troubled that we're often so quick to accept what is being presented as something more than it is think about your own life and your own uh, day-to-day happenings and how you act in different situations, like how you act with uh, people at a store or a bank or something and then people that you're kind of acquainted with and then people that you know really well and then people you live with and how for each of these different situations, you probably present a fairly different person different parts of yourself. You're not going to expose all of your uh, innermost thoughts and feelings and secrets to someone that you happen to walk past on the street. And much the same way when you see, let's say, The Rock uh, giving an interview for Access Hollywood or something. Uh, you're seeing the rock brand as it is choosing to present itself in an interview on access Hollywood. And you you can find that perfectly charming, perfectly entertaining, awesome. You love it. You love the brand, but you don't know that person. The person is not your friend. You don't have a personal relationship with them. And for all I know, who knows? I'm not saying that everything's like the boys where like every beaming, smiling celebrity is a psychopath. The minute they turn around from the camera. But we just have no idea. The the Rock could be the greatest guy the world's ever known. He could be the worst person the world's ever known. Very likely he's some gradation of all things somewhere in between, like most people are. But at a certain point, I just find it weird that we're so, we spend so much time in our head, feeling like we know people that we will never meet, that will never meet us. Oftentimes, even to the detriment of, actual relationships with people in our real life. There's always like that, uh, proverbial question. Uh, if you could have dinner with someone from all of history, who would you pick? And, you know, of course the, the tried answers, George Washington, Martin Luther King, Jr. Uh, I don't know who else is like a historical figure, <laughs> Abraham Lincoln. Um, Why aren't people saying like, I don't know, my wife, my husband, my kid, you know, like someone like, I don't want to have dinner with these randos uh, from the past that don't know me. I don't know them. I want to focus on the people that are actually in my life when it comes to like that personal interaction. And I just feel like sometimes with the whole celebrity thing, there's a strange blur there where we're looking for personal relationships with celebrities and then we kind of overlook the people that are right in front of us in our real life that we should be having personal relationships with. Um, But the same thing really cuts both ways because I feel like in this madness of trying to personalize our relationships with celebrities, we expect much more out of them than we should. We expect them to all be nice people, good people, uh, the kind of people that we want to have as our best buddies. I remember um, some years ago, there was this awesome Japanese professional wrestler named Katsuyori Shibata. He was probably my favorite favorite wrestler of the the current era. I mean, he's, he's actually retired now. But I mean, over, from like 2010 to now, probably my favorite uh, active wrestler. Um, but it came out that uh, a couple of things. He was, I believe, if I remember correctly, having an affair. Um, or maybe it was just that, I can't remember if he was having an affair or if just like some personal text between him and a girlfriend got leaked. But either way, some of his some of his uh, personal, some TMI level of personal stuff got leaked on him. And further, um, I think it was not a fair because I think um, the woman he was having an affair with got mad at him and then leaked a bunch of stuff about him. And, and one of the things that got leaked was that apparently there was an incident where a fan had made him like, you know, a homemade drawing or a sign or something about him or give him flowers. I don't know. Give him some gift and Katsuyori Shibata, you know, accepted it, accepted the gift was like, Oh, thank you. Thank you. And then as soon as the fan left, took the gift and just tossed it in the trash. And I mean, that's not, that, that's a jerk move, but does it matter? Is this Katsuyori Shibata, does he owe us his friendship? Can we just appreciate his work as a wrestler? Does he have to be, does Being a good professional wrestler mean he has to be person of the year? I I just don't think so. I think, I mean, I understand if someone's like does something incredibly heinous, like it's like a murderer or rapist or something, it's probably, eh, can set that aside and maybe not be a fan anymore. But so much of this micro cancellation on the basis of just people not being nice um, when it comes to public figures or celebrities, I don't know how much it matters at a certain point. I don't know how much they, they owe that to us. Enjoy the work. You know, uh, I just I, I feel like there's such an imbalance of expectation there. Um, so in the end, I guess I would just close on saying that um, the boys kind of helped me think about this, which is always sort of a lingering thought in the back of my mind. But just to to hold celebrity at arm's length, you know, I'm this isn't a rant that like you can't enjoy movies or or comics or. TV shows, you can't even admire actors or be a fan of a band or band members. But remember that you never really know these people. You, you know the work. You have a relationship with the work. You don't have a relationship with the human being. Um, and give the, the same token, give these creators, give these performers just a, a little bit of slack. They don't owe you. They don't need, if, if you like their work, you like their work. Um, you can set their personal life aside. That's not really your domain nor do they actually exist as real people uh, in your domain either. And at the same time, uh, while you're keeping that in mind, maybe keep in mind the people that are actually in your real life, maybe they're just as interesting as celebrities. Maybe, uh, you know, real life is real life. And it's always good to carve out some time to, to really remember the people that actually are in our life, our friends, our family you know, watching stuff is great. I loved watching the boys, but I also uh, liked that I watched it with my wife. <laughs> I liked that we got to talk about it afterwards. I liked that, uh, that same weekend I spent time with the kids, you know, and I didn't once think about how I wanted to meet the actor that plays Butcher. I don't know. <laughs> just kind of rambling at this point and it's time to call it. But again, um, this isn't a anti-celebrity or anti-media rant or anything like that. It's just, uh, I guess it's a maintain balance rant. Uh, Just remember what is real, what's important, what isn't, uh, what can be enjoyed, but with a little bit of grain of salt. Um, And with that, it's me, Mr. Sensational Gino Vega, signing off from yet another episode of the Mr. Sensational Gino Vega podcast on the IC Robots Radio Network. You can follow me on Twitter at Sensational Vega. I will follow you back. I am not really on Twitter much, but... Uh, you can follow me there, I guess. <laughs> I don't know what else to plug. Uh, friend request me on Facebook if you want. Uh, go over to supportthereport.com, where for as little as $1 a month, you can support the network and become a Patreon member. Um, finally, if there was a little bit of weird background noise on this episode, like some squeaking of a chair and stuff, I apologize. I, uh, Because of the nature of my recording schedule, I actually recorded this sitting in the same room as... Uh, my 12-year-old uh, Miss Sensational 2. Um, so it's actually a miracle that there was as little background noise as there was. So until next time, Mr. Sensational Gino Vega, I am out. Talk to you soon. There comes a time When we heed a certain call When the world must come together as one There are people dying Oh, when it's time to lend a hand to life, the greatest gift of all. We can't go on, pretending day by day that somewhere we'll soon make a change. We all are all a part of God's great big family. No love.